Thank you all for coming to our last session. Uh, let me go ahead and open us with the word of prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for uh, the past uh, four meetings that we've had and the chance we have now to kind of wrap things up and think about where do we go from here. Uh, Lord, we, we thank you for the time that we've had in this study, but we ask that this would be not an end in and of itself, but a means, a beginning, uh, an opportunity for us as a church to really think through how to nurture a culture of evangelism long term. And I pray that from this uh, uh, study would come some very practical ways that we can serve and grow uh, through hospitality and evangelism and different things. And I pray that Kirk of the Plains would be known and marked as a church that loves the gospel and as a church that loves to share the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would help me tonight as we, I seek to um, bring things to a close, to do so well, and uh, ask that you would be with those uh, who, who can't be here uh, tonight, especially for those who are away on drill. It is in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, grab a seat. Um, so we are wrapping up our, our class on nurture and culture evangelism tonight. And um, as I thought about kind of what to do in this last session, um, I, I was uh, I was realizing that you know probably there's going to be a good bit of overlap in one sense with what we've kind of talked about already, and uh, probably something you've noticed from these four weeks is that there's nothing anything earth-shattering. Probably I've not told you anything that you didn't already know about the gospel or sharing the gospel. Um, but I think that's because in many ways we, we try to overcomplicate this uh, in some senses. And, uh, and often what we need is simply to be drawn back to what the Bible has to say about the gospel and about our responsibilities and privilege of sharing the gospel in all sorts of ways with our children, as we talked about some last week, with our neighbors, um, with all those uh, around us. And uh, when you look at the early church, whether it's in the book of Acts or even in the centuries following, uh, the church grew rapidly and dramatically without a single evangelism program or um, anything like that. It was ordinary Christians, ordinary pastors, opening God's word and um, seeking to bring the gospel to people and people to the gospel. And we want to, to do that as well. Uh, we don't want to be gimmicky. Uh, but we want to be faithful. And so as I thought about, okay, what, what should we look at in this last session? I, I thought it'd be helpful to leave us with some kind of specific things that I think we should be striving for and praying for as a church. And I, you, you can see the four things there um, on your handout. I think we, we, we should strive to be a proclaiming church. We should strive to be a praying church. We should strive to be an inviting church. And we should strive to be an expectant church. So I want to just walk through each of these things, um, talk through um, some of, uh, you know, just make some comments about each of these. Um, if you have comments of your own, I know some other lessons I've kind of had more of a methodical thing to work through. If you have things to add in, um, feel free to, to, to raise your hand and jump in. Um, what I'd like to do is just kind of walk through some of these things and unpack what, what each of these mean. And then I'd like us to have maybe a bit more time for prayer even this week than what we've had in the past. In the past, we've taken about 10 or 15 minutes. Um, I'd love to wrap up maybe by 730, um, 7.20, 7.30, so that we could just have some time to pray for these specific things as well as to pray for opportunities that maybe we've had 
in the last week or whatever to, um, to share the gospel. So let's walk through this. Um, the first thing that we need to, to strive for if we are to be a church that is sharing the gospel is to be a church that is a proclaiming church. We need to be preaching the gospel. I don't want that to get lost in the shuffle. Um, we oftentimes think about, you know, again, how can we, you know, um, build relationships with an unbeliever? How can we um, strike up a conversation with a stranger? You know, we, we have these questions, which are important questions, good things. Um, but at the end of the day, you, you've not shared the gospel, you've not preached the gospel until you've preached the gospel. And that involves opening the Word of God, it involves um, speaking the message of who Christ is and what He's come to do and, uh, and, and what He has accomplished uh, for His people. And so um, we need to be a, a church that, that knows God's Word, that loves God's Word, and that looks to share God's Word. And I think that happens in at least two ways. Um, the first is through the public proclamation of the Gospel. Um, now I draw this out because I think uh, maybe you've heard this. I, I have in different churches that I visited or been in, where they where they say, you know, really, uh, the Sunday worship service, the Sunday sermon, is designed to kind of put fuel in the Christian's tank so that they can go out in the week and uh, do the work of being Christians in the world and sharing the gospel. And so, you know, the, the Sunday sermon becomes kind of a, a, a recharge reinvigoration thing for Christians. Now, of course, the preaching of the Word sermons are supposed to edify and encourage believers. Um, but we actually believe the Bible teaches us that the preaching of the Word is not just how God kind of helps Christians um, grow in their faith, but how God actually brings non-Christians into the faith. And I think this is actually put really helpfully in... Um, the Shorter Catechism, question 89, it asks the question, how, how is the Word made effectual or effective to salvation? And here's how, here's how it answers that question. It says, The Spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the Word, an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners, and of building them up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. You see, that, that brings together both sides of that. There is a, a building up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation, but there's also a convincing and converting of sinners. And of course, we know that a good gospel message that gets to conviction of sin and the work of Christ is not just something that's good for the non-Christian or the new believer. The longer you walk in the faith, the more you'll, you'll resonate with those kind of simple gospel messages. Now, I'm not saying that every sermon should be kind of watered down to where it's just a you know, four spiritual laws, you know, every week kind of thing. But, uh, but as, we, as we are preaching, you know, for those that are called to preach, we need to be preaching in a way that a non-believer could hear and hear the gospel and not be so lost by um, all the details of what we're doing that they miss the big picture of who Christ is. Now, most of us in this room are not called to preach the gospel in this way, in this kind of public sense. So what's the takeaway for kind of just every Christian. Um, well, I think I think it comes down to valuing and supporting the preaching of the Word. Now, what are some ways uh, that you can think of or the things that you've done or seen done um, to, to value and support the preaching of the Word? How can we do that just as ordinary Christians? Prayer. Yeah? 
I'm not saying do this every week, but I think it's good throughout the week, but especially um, Saturday and, and Sunday, day off, to be praying for the preaching of the word for people who could be coming that mm-hmm. haven't heard the gospel, we'd pray for their souls, mm-hmm. we'd be praying for the, whoever's preaching, that um, they would uh, not uh, try to preach out their own wisdom, but that they would be led by the Spirit to preach the truth of the gospel that is found in the word of God. Yeah, um, th- this applies more to small church settings. Well, it, it applies to both, but it's more necessary and poignant in a church plan or small church setting. But uh, it, it's helping out with either the day-to-day or Sunday operations so that those responsibilities aren't felt by the pastor. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't have his attention divided too many ways and he can focus on the preaching of the word. We can savor the proclamation of the gospel ourselves and encourage the pastor when we hear it that we are listening to it and not think of it as something, well, I'm already saved, so I don't need to hear the gospel kind of thing. I I want to hear it again. Yeah. There are many, many ways in which even just, if God never calls you to step behind a pulpit, we can and should be and must be involved in that work of valuing and supporting the public proclamation of the gospel. That's part of why we'll we'll talk about this more later, but that's part of why I'm putting an emphasis too on being an inviting church. Because if we believe that um, evangelism is about a technique or a method that that we do or pursue, um, then the preaching of the word will kind of tend to get shifted to the sidelines. But if we believe that God uses ordinary conversations, He uses all sorts of means, but the preaching of the word the spirit of the word with the word of God preached and proclaimed is God's normal means of converting people, then our great burden is to both proclaim that word we'll talk about ourselves, but also to bring them under the preaching of the word. And so that that should be one way, I think, as, as biblical and reformed Christians that our evangelism should express itself, that we're really eager to see people brought in to sit under the preaching of the word, to hear the word of God proclaimed. Oh, I remember some people saying that thinking that evangelism and the gospel was for the unbelievers, mm-hmm. as if it would not be for the uh-huh. believer already. Uh-huh. And I think um, it's not clear understanding if we think that it's believers even need it anymore. Right. Right. Because I think we still daily need it. Yeah. Because we need to walk every day by grace. Mm-hmm. So definitely, I think is when we understand that we need it too. You yeah. Know? We will not have, I remember some people mm-hmm. who already know this. So it's like, mm-hmm. no, no, no. I think you probably don't get it, you know, yeah. because yeah. we need it. Yeah. You know, we do that every day. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, now, some people, there's been, uh, you know, some debate about who, who is supposed to proclaim the Word of God. Because some people um, kind of take the view of saying, you know, really, uh, this was this was. You go to the Great Commission; it's given to the apostles. Um, preachers are called to preach the word, but ordinary Christians have no real responsibility to do the work of evangelism and 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 share their faith. Um, and uh, I think I think uh, we need to walk through that carefully to say, okay, is that 
you know, who all is really called to be involved in this work. And um, of course, I think we need to acknowledge that um, the preaching of the word again from the pulpit um, is given a special emphasis in Scripture, and God calls and equips certain men to carry out that work, to carry out that task. Ephesians 4 talks about um, God giving you know pastors and and evangelists you know to the church. Those are gifted uh, men who who can do that work well. And not all of us are going to have all of those same gifts or be inclined to you know be able to teach or explain or answer questions um, as well as others. Right? God has given us different giftings. We have to know that um, and uh, and appreciate when God has called people. Um, to serve in ways that maybe we can't, but that doesn't mean that, as a, you know, as a just kind of a lay person, we can write ourselves off and say, "I don't have to be involved in the work of evangelism." That's what we pay the pastor for. Maybe at most, I will, you know, give a card and invite someone, but but then I'm I'm done. Um, all of us are called to be proclaiming the gospel uh, in different ways, not in the same sense of of standing up and opening God's word from the pulpit necessarily, but in sharing our faith with. With others, and I want to just draw your attention to two passages, um, real quick. Uh, Mark Dever had had a good uh, article on Nine Marks about this question of who is called to share their faith, and he he drew people's attention to Acts 11, which we actually started with. This was a passage that we kind of worked from as we talked about what would a culture of evangelism look like in the church. And you remember Acts 11, verses 19 and following is is talking about how the church in Syrian Antioch got formed. And it was as um, people were being scattered from Jerusalem and having to flee persecution that they went to Antioch, which was a major city, and they started preaching the gospel and proclaiming the the word of God to people. Um, Look at verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And it goes on from there. But you see, um, kind of by example, not just here, but in other places in the book of Acts, that um, it's not only Paul and the apostles who go out and share the gospel with people. Um, they have a particular work, and Paul is going to come into the scene in the next verses, and he'll be sent out in chapter 13 on the first missionary journey from Antioch. But all of these who are, who are scattered um, go with the message of the gospel. And, and, we, and we have this by instruction as well, First uh, Peter 3, 13-15. This is a very familiar passage um, where Peter instructs his readers, um, and this is, again, not written... Uh, just to uh, a pastor um, or an apostle is written to the persecuted church. And, and here's what he says. Uh, I'm going to start with kind of, we're used to verse uh, 15, but I want to get a bit more of the context. So First Peter 3, 13 through 15. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing 
evil. Um, not every believer is sent out as Paul and Barnabas were, right, to do missionary work, to do the work of an evangelist. But every believer is instructed to be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in you, to honor Christ as the Lord is holy in their hearts, to be ready to make a defense. Um, and so all of us, I think, need to um, consider how we are and can be involved in that work of proclaiming the gospel. You know, maybe for some, that is, God is calling you to the work of, of ministry, to being a pastor, to making the preaching of the word your uh, primary calling. Um, for all of us, though, that should involve, again, supporting that preaching of the word in the ways that we've talked about. It should also involve private proclamation. If you think about what we need to be and to do and to know in order to follow what Peter calls us to here. Uh, maybe we don't have an understanding of the Word of God um, that we should. If someone were to hand you a Bible and say, I know you're a Christian, could you walk me through what the Gospel is? Would you, would you be able to do that with the Word of God in your hand? Uh, maybe that means scripture memorization. Maybe that means reading books of theology or apologetics or whatever it might be. But each of us, um, wherever we are, needs to, to, to seek to grow in this, to be faithful in this, so that we can be ready to, to share the Word of God. So this is that first kind of characteristic that I think we as Curricula Plains and really any church should be praying for and should be seeking. Let's be a proclaiming church. Uh, but coming right out of that is, is the second kind of feature or characteristic. We need to be a praying church. Um, sometimes people will ask the question, you know, how can Reformed people talk about evangelism? Because if you believe that God is sovereign in evangelism, then what's the point of calling people to be saved? Right? There's a lot of ways of answering that question. Um, but I think one helpful perspective is to see that uh, biblical... Uh, teaching on the sovereignty of God doesn't undermine our evangelism, it undergirds our evangelism. And one of the ways we see that most strongly is in prayer. If I believe that uh, what makes someone a Christian or not is their own individual choice, and God has said, hey, I'm not going to be involved in this, I've put the gospel out there, it's up to them, then the point of prayer in that scenario becomes a little fuzzy. Right? It's really up to this person. I should better spend my time talking to that person and trying to convince them to give their life to Jesus than to go to God and say, would you change this person's heart? Because he's already said he won't. But when you see how the Bible speaks about the gospel and the sovereignty of God, you see that God is the one who saves. Salvation is of the Lord. Now, he's commanded us to preach that word, to have conversations with people, to ask questions, to push, to probe, all of that. But it comes only after we have labored in prayer. Because we know that at the end of the day, it's not my wit or your wisdom or our ability to kind of uh, convince people about their need for Christ that's going to make that person a Christian. It's the Spirit of God, the work of God. And so if we are to be really biblical and reformed Christians in evangelism, that means that we have put a premium on prayer. Um, that's part of why, even as we've kind of talked about evangelism, we've tried to spend time each week in prayer. And uh, why I want to kind of give even more time this week to spending some time in prayer. It's very easy to kind of give lip service to the importance of prayer. But then when we have an opportunity to gather for pray, um, those tend to be small turnout nights. Because we just don't really believe that prayer is of primary importance or value. And I speak to myself there. All of us need to be challenged in this. And this starts at home, right? This connects some of what we talked about last week. 
Um, are we giving ourselves to prayer as individuals? Um, maybe in set times, you know, on the dinner table or in the morning when you wake up, maybe as you're driving around, maybe instead of turning the radio on, you, you just spend some time praying. Um, praying for God to work, especially in this work of evangelism. Um, I, that's part of, again, why we try to provide some of these things that where we can be you know, writing down people to pray for. And that can be unbelievers, it can be believers, it can be needs of the congregation. You know, your bulletin each week is put together in such a way that you can take that and have things to pray for every day. People in the congregation, elders who are over the church. Um, nurturing a culture of evangelism in the church begins as we nurture a culture of evangelism uh, in the home as well. And so we really want to strive to be people who are praying um, for the lost and and teaching our children to pray uh, as well. Um, and, that, and that bleeds out into our corporate life uh, as well. We've looked at the book of Acts at, at different points here. I want to look at just two more chapters from Acts to drive this home. Acts chapter 1. Um, you know, we think of Acts oftentimes as, uh, you know, maybe the great missionary book in the Bible, right? So much of it is caught up with stories of Peter or of Paul, you know, going and preaching the gospel and people being saved and all of that. But, which is absolutely true. This is one of the great missionary books of the Bible. But it's also one of the great books on prayer. I'd encourage you to read through the book of Acts sometime, just looking for all the times when people are praying. Uh, in this book, and we and we see this even in the very first chapter. Um, look at verse uh, verse twelve. You know, the the Holy Spirit has been promised to the uh, apostles, to the disciples. Christ has been ascended, and then in verse twelve we read, "Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying." Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. It goes on from there, but you see how it's not just the leaders of the church who are called to this. All the people in the church are here, and they're not just opening and closing in prayer. They're devoting themselves to prayer. Um, and it's in this context that the Holy Spirit is actually poured out. The anointing that Christ received as, uh, as king is poured out now through him as the ascended Christ on his people. And it's from that that Peter's message uh, at, at Pentecost is preached and thousands are saved. Now, don't turn this into a formula and think, okay, so we have a prayer meeting, then we have a revival, and then, bam, you know, people are saved. Um, that, 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 that's not what, you know, what, what we're being called to. But if we think we can go out and do the work of evangelism or do the work of parenting or do the work of hospitality or anything in our Christian life without prayer, um, we're, we, we're falling short of the biblical models. Uh, I know Dad has shared this quote before. It's, it's, a, it's a favorite uh, in our house. But you know, John Bunyan said so well, you can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you can't do more than pray until you've prayed. And that should be our heartbeat uh, as a church. One more passage, and we'll look at this a bit more later, but Acts chapter 4, 
um, we have another prayer meeting. You know, um, Pentecost has taken place. The church has grown. The apostles have received some pushback. You know, Peter from the from the Council of Sanhedrin. Um, but when they're faced with that opposition, that suffering, they turn to prayer. Acts chapter four, verse twenty-three. Um, would someone read verse twenty-three through? 31. Of course, Acts chapter 4, 23 through 31. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and earth uh, and the sea and everything in them? Who, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit... Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and continue to speak the word of God with boldness. All right. Keep your Bibles open, Acts. We're going to come back to that. But just in light of what we just read, let me just read one more time question 89 of the Short of Catechism. I think this brings together so much biblical truth so well. It's asking the question, how is the word of God made effective to save people? And the first words are, the Spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the word. An effective means of convincing and converting sinners and of building them up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. Now just notice a couple of things. One is it's the Spirit of God with the Word that brings people to salvation. That's part of why we've instructed it this way I have. If we are to have any hope of seeing sinners saved, it will only come as we are proclaiming God's Word and as we are praying for God's Spirit to bless that proclamation of the Gospel and to work in the hearts of sinners. So when we think about evangelism, we shouldn't start with, let's start a door-to-door ministry, let's start a street preaching ministry, let's start a, you know, evangelism explored, or whatever it might be. Good things though those can be. We must start with, are we preaching the Word of God, publicly and privately, and are we giving ourselves to prayer, first and foremost? Now again, there's things we can do from that, but this has to be the core. And we actually even want to, we've been talking a lot about um, this this summer, about how, how Kirk of the Plains, even just the schedule and things can be structured to help us in that. So, Dad, I actually want to take a minute just to kind of share yeah. some thoughts on that. I think, you know, one of the things that uh, about the church, and especially with elders, is, is that elders shepherd the flock. And a lot in the same way that a parent parents their kids. You know, there's a sense of care and oversight and, and nourishment and encouragement and, and all these things that, that take place. And, you know, I guess just having my grandkids living with us this summer has uh, 
just reminded me that the kids grow up and you don't treat them the same way when they're five as you do when they're five months old. You know, they're not in diapers and you're not, uh, you know, giving them formula or feeding them otherwise and stuff like that. You know, you give them solid food. So you have to sort of keep track of, as your kids develop, how you help them out. And, and so same way, anyways, with the church, that churches develop and grow. And so, you know, as uh, I've had a chance this summer to have a little bit of a break from some of my responsibilities to think about where we, we might go as a church and, and where we are as a church and how we might uh, uh, continue to grow and, and who we are. Um, I was just thinking about this whole thing of evangelism and are we working together as a church and as, as the home and how we might do that. And, uh, you know, looking at our schedule, I don't think it's super heavy as a church. You know, we're not, we don't have programs every night and stuff like that. But there is a sense in which I want to be careful to make sure that if we're going to be talking about evangelism and hospitality and you guys opening your home, that you have the ability to do that. That the, the church schedule not compete with that or make that make you feel like, well, I have to go to church or I have to reach out to the lost. So I thought, well, how can we do this in a way that would be uh, beneficial? And so um, just sort of thinking about the fall schedule, we... Um, talked about doing doing this is as opposed to having all these different meetings throughout the week is really to ask you guys to sort of commit to Sundays and to Wednesdays if we could and so uh, Sundays of course we have Sunday school and we have worship and sometimes we have things on Sunday nights like this and, and stuff like that and then on Wednesdays uh, to maybe restructure that a little bit and have it to where on the first and the third Wednesday night of the month we would have a study that, we're, that we do just like we do every Wednesday. And then on the second and the fourth Wednesdays of the month, we would have our men and women's meetings. And so uh, instead of meeting on Saturday mornings and stuff like that, so on the second Wednesday of the month, for example, the women would meet here at our home and the guys would meet at the church. And we would do our study separate and then we would come together. And, and that would give us time to do the things that, you know, we feel like are important to uh, us as a church right now, but to be able to consolidate that in a little less time. And then on the fifth Sunday of, uh, Wednesday, excuse Wednesday. me, fifth Wednesday, thank you. That's, I'm <laughs> <laughs> the fifth Wednesday, every fifth Wednesday, then we would have a prayer meeting, and that prayer meeting uh, would be primarily to pray for the lost and, and just you know our ministry of evangelism and, and reaching out to others and that would take various forms and that would be sort of a, a guided prayer time for that and stuff so um, that would help us as a church more to be able to, to consolidate our time to be uh, together as a church but also allow you to be out there building those relationships with unbelievers now that doesn't mean we can't get together other times to do things, you know, that you can't open your home to have other people over from the church and, and have fellowship and stuff like that. But we just wanted to be able to, to free that up a little bit more and, and to have those times that we meet together be more times of focus and stuff where, where we're doing that in a beneficial way. So, anyway. Yeah, and one thing that has been really encouraging to me, I hope to you guys as well, is as we've had these sessions is to have a chance kind of at the end to share about um, specific conversations, relationships, opportunities, 
And oftentimes I've heard, you know, people share, we'll pray, and then conversations spring up where someone says, oh, you're talking with, you know, Jehovah's Witness, here's some resources I found, or, you know, we can encourage each other in that work. Oftentimes evangelism feels very lonely, and I think the way it's often even presented in evangelical circles is kind of like, you need to get your act together and be able to convert someone in an elevator, or, you know, you're not doing the work of evangelism, and... Uh, I, I think biblically it's much more corporate than that. And each of us has unique opportunities. You know, Each of you have relationships and open doors that no one else in this room has. Um, and yet none of us, uh, on our own, again, can convert anyone. It's the Spirit of God working through the Word of God and typically through the people of God as well. And so hopefully one, one outworking of having you know, regular quarterly times to pray for evangelism it's not just to pray generically but to pray specifically you know for this co-worker for that neighbor for this family member and to share about some of those things as well so we really want this to be something that um, um, we're not just putting a whole lot more on you and saying go do this and go do this and go do that but to say how can we as a church again even structure our schedule in a way that helps us to parent well to do hospitality to to have neighbors over, invite people to church, all of that. So that's that's the goal, that's the prayer. And then, if I might say, um, that's not to say, I mean, I would like to see us pray more for the lost and have more prayer meetings and stuff like that, but I just think, as far as where we're at and just beginning to establish that habit as a church, I'm sure that as households and as individuals, yeah. you already are Sorry praying and doing that. But, you know, as a church, I, I like us. So I hope that over time we can increase that even more. But that's just what we want to start. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so out of that, again, flows everything else um, that we want to do. And, and, and one, again, very practical thing that we've talked about previously, so I'll be brief on this, um, is, is being an inviting church. And, again, if we believe that it's the Spirit of God through the Word of God with the people of God... Uh, that typically brings people to a knowledge of Christ, then a big part of our burden should be um, not just to talk people into the kingdom um, kind of on our own, but to bring them into the life of the church, let them sit under the preaching of the word, follow up with them as individuals, build relationships between unbelievers and believers, all of that. And uh, and, and that all starts with an invitation. And, and whether that's to Sunday morning worship or... You know, some other event or opportunity. Maybe again, that's a hospitality thing, and you're having somebody from the church over, and you're having somebody from your neighborhood over. Um, whatever that looks like, um, we need to be inviting people. And I think I shared this statistic maybe um, in a previous week, but it, it it really struck me. I was kind of shocked by this, but um, only about only 21% of Christians in America. Um, said that they had invited someone to a church event in the last year. Um, but when when pollers asked non-Christians, how likely would you be to go to a church event if uh, if a friend of yours invited you? I think it was like 81% said, I'd be willing to go. Like if I knew it was important to them and they were a friend, I'd be willing to go. Um I, I don't think that way. I, my assumption is any non-Christian is going to have zero interest in coming to me, you know, coming to the, any any church thing with me. And so I really think I've got to kind of build up and and you know put in six months to a year to a year and a half of careful relationship building. Then maybe we can invite them to hear the word of God. And uh, 
I think we're more skittish about this than non-Christians are. I think we need to be much more willing to just invite people to church, invite people to a Bible study, invite people to just talk about spiritual things, you know, where, where, where they are. Um, and so the first thing of being an inviting church is just being an inviting people. You know, be thinking about who can I invite and, and be willing to invite numerous times, you know, not in an obnoxious way, uh, but especially with those that, that you have relationships with. Um, to, to send them a link to the Facebook page for whatever event is going on or uh, just to send them a text or invite them over for a meal on a Sunday and say, hey, if you'd like to come to church with us too, you know, we worship at this time. There's all sorts of very natural ways of welcoming people into the life of the church. And uh, the picnics in the park are a great yeah. example. You can let them sort of see Christians don't bite, they don't have three heads, they don't walk funny. Yeah. Yes. And just play and enjoy the yeah. So this is so basic. I mean, there's almost nothing to say about it, and yet I I need to be challenged and reminded of that. Um, but with that, then we need to be an inviting people in two senses, right? The first is be willing to make the invitation, be willing to extend that that in- invitation to people. Uh, but the other side of this is, so what happens if you come to the picnic on the park on on Saturday? We're in Augusta. And you see two or three families that you don't recognize. Um, what do you do? Uh, I think many of us um, will assume they're there with somebody. You know, assume they're kind of taken care of, and someone's talking to them. And so we see the, you know, our friend or that family that we haven't had a chance to catch up with. And so we just kind of gravitate and start talking to them. Kids start playing together. And uh, it's very easy for people to fall through the cracks. Um, And on a Sunday morning, that can happen very well. Now, I I will say this. uh, Cherie and I had the chance when we moved to Grand Rapids uh, to visit a lot of really good Reformed churches. There's like 30-plus just Reformed Presbyterian churches in Grand Rapids. It's amazing. And all of them that we visited were healthy, well, we're all conservative, reformed churches. And yet, it was amazing as visitors, especially visitors with young kids, to see um, you know, which churches did a, a very good job of kind of welcoming us and which ones did not. Um, and uh, being at Kirk of the Plains, I think this is a church that overall does a really good job of welcoming people. I've not yet seen a visitor walk in who isn't talked to by not just the pastor, you know, um, or the most extroverted person in the congregation, but by many people in the church, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, they're given a bulletin and they're shown a seat and, and all of that. So this is an area where I think God has blessed us in doing well, but we don't want to lose that. In one sense, it's easy to do now because if there's 40 of us on a Sunday and the 41st person walks in, you notice, right? And uh, it, you don't have to show them around the building. It's just, you know, bathrooms back there and <laughs> there's a sanctuary. Um, as, as God blesses uh, Kirk of the Plains and it grows, uh, it could be easy for that to kind of fall away, though, and to lose that sensitivity or that zeal. So I want to just encourage you to say, you know, we've seen this done well, we've seen it done poorly, and I think Kirk of the Plains overall has, does this very well. But we can always grow in this and want to continue on in this. Um, let me just kind of open it up if people have um, comments or ideas of um, things that you've seen or received that have made you feel welcome, 
in a church. Um, maybe even like for those of you who are more extroverted or are good at welcoming people, what are good questions to ask if it's you know a total stranger and you're trying to kind of get to know them? Anything that people have have found or was seen done well that might be a benefit to us? Well, I think one thing that um, mom and dad do well that we've seen over the years through this list of is the easy question to ask people, you know, if it's a couple, is how did you meet? Or, you know, how did you come to Christ? Or to ask kind of a, a conversation starter in that way, especially like if we make them a part. Um, when it's complete stranger in terms of community people that nobody has a connection to anybody from, and that through telling those stories, you can find out a lot about them. You can get a sense for their background, whether they people from Christian home or not. You usually can get a sense of how long they've been in the area. And I don't know, I just feel like that's one of those simple things that I take for granted that everybody knows. But as I've been out and about talking to other people, I realize that it's not necessarily the norm for people, but that is a really easy easy way to get to know people and to, to be able to come up with more natural conversation starters rather than just a quick introduction or just dirty work. Mm-hmm. Ben, this isn't a conversation starter, but I think something that I've learned over the years is how important it is for people to meet a number of people in the church, mm-hmm. not just one. So. One of the things that I was challenged in is because I'm talking with somebody and you know somebody saying, oh well, you know I I work at Spirit, you know, or something like that, and say, really? So have you met? Do you know Mark Walkus or, or do you know Jonathan Dirks or you know? And you begin to connect them, or they say, I like to go fishing or something else, and you're like, oh, have you met so and so? They love to go fishing, and begin to to sort of. Uh, you know, introduce them to a number of people, and and I know for myself, as you know, as I think about this on the other side, as I go somewhere where I'm the stranger and I have a number of people that I make connections with, then I walk away from that group going, that's a friendly group. Mm-hmm. You know, they they were very welcoming. They took interest in me. So to your point about the picnic in the park, if I walk up and I see that they're talking to Casey, that's great that they're talking to him, but. I have to still go introduce myself, you know, now maybe I'll wait till Casey's done, maybe I won't, you know, but still, you know, I, I, I sort of insert myself to say hi to them at least, and I think the more people that do that, I think that just helps people to understand how important that they are. And, and like you, uh, I think in many ways our congregation does that, and I, I appreciate that very much. I, I think it's neat, but because sometimes as a pastor, I don't get to the person first. Actually, most of the time, I don't get to the person first. Our congregation does, and then I get to talk to them, sort of like the leftover, you know. And then they're like, "Oh yeah, I met so and 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 so." I'm thinking, "Yes, yeah." So thank you, guys. Well, and Cherie and I found, uh, in a personal confession, you know, we moved from uh, you know worshiping at Heartland every week, and was just kind of getting to that size, 300-ish, where you know, big enough that you don't know everyone. And uh, there had been many, many times in our first two years of marriage where we would see a couple or a family or someone and we're like, I don't know that I recognize them, but we just kind of assumed that they were with somebody. Um, neither of us are the most extroverted people in the world, and there were a lot of times where we kind of walked past people because we thought, well, they've probably been here before. I haven't met them. And then we went to Grand Rapids and we're visiting churches and, you know, 
sometimes we went and it was phenomenal service, good preaching, good liturgy, um, but we'd stand out in the gathering area or in our pew and just kind of stand and look around as everyone walks past. And it was very difficult and we were very convicted of, okay, now the shoe's on the other foot and we're seeing what a simple thing it would have been and how meaningful it is when someone sticks their hands out and introduces themselves, asks if you're new to town or, you know what I mean, just those kinds of things. And so a lot of it is just being mindful. I don't think we mean to snub people or any of that. Um, but in whatever context, whether it's a Sunday morning, a special event, you know, um, just seeking to be uh, welcoming and inviting in as many ways as we can well, is, is so important. Another way, I think, uh, I think Pete is probably the best person I know at this with anybody. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but is to, you know, as you interact with them as you're in the moment, whether again, whether it's a church or fixing hard or pastor, but is to, to offer, not push, but offer another point of contact or an event or something, you know, to say, oh, I'm so glad that you came to the picnic, you know, and I drive them and say, well, we actually, we have a, a women's Bible study that means, you know, if you guys ever want to come, you know, here's information on that, or, I mean, I was at, I was at the splash pad with another friend, and Katie Kelton showed up, and she invited the other friend to the Forgive Wayne Bible study and women's group, <laughs> and it didn't even occur to me to do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I just think it's funny that she doesn't even go here. She invites two people and I um, But I just thought it's interesting. I can kind of get so focused in whatever I'm in. I think I think maybe into a bad extreme of getting pushy. You're feeling like you're know, being really aggressive. But I think in general, um, churches that I've visited out of the state, or when I visit family members or something like that, a lot of times most of my feel is when they're well, you know, if you ever, you know, you're ever in town and you, you want to come over for lunch, you want to, so just offering another point of contact, whether it's a, an event or program or whether it's just coming over or something, always very welcoming. Yeah. And this is where, again, a lot of this can lead together. Um, if, you, you know, if Sundays are a day when you say we're going to try to do hospitality, you know, maybe you say, okay, there's a, a new person, new family, we're going to, we're just going to invite them. You know, we don't know them, but they just came to Kirkland Plains. We're going to invite them to come over after church for a meal. And and that can be make a huge difference. There was a church we visited in Grand Rapids that, in uh, um, one sense, we knew we weren't going to stay at for different reasons. Uh, and yet, we were so well-received and welcomed by people, and they had us over, that we were, were almost kind of like, should we consider this church? Like, this, <laughs> this has just been such a... Um, Oh, you know, wonderful experience from that from that angle. Um, but uh, so I think there's a lot of things we can do that that can grow in that. But um, oh yeah. That I was thinking, and, and I think I enjoyed when you're talking about important relationships. And even as I was traveling over the summer, I went to visit these friends in California that I grew up with, and it's kind of like we saw the Facebook, you know, the 40 years later, before and after uh-huh. kind of thing. But this is a family that we've known for since before I was born. It was one of my dad's best friends, you know. They're unbelievers. And I was telling my mom when I left that actually we were there to support a little less than 48 hours because it was a quick visit, you know, and I was crying, you know, because it had a lot of 
memories of my dad and also uh, it's very hard when you love a family and they're not believers because mm. you are you've known each other for a long time we know their lives they know our lives and and yet um, there's a big gap you know like with her this this friend you know we used to be very good players you know we played on the lights and then our childhood and teenage years flew apart because she was not a believer a world amazing world as a musician you know she's they've been playing in Hollywood and all that you know but I'm a Christian and so it's a big tangent you know but somehow by mercy you know and through my mom and everything they have we have cultivated that friendship and um, and we've been planting seeds and I was able to mentioned to some things, but even as we were talking, I was reminded of how important it is. I mean, I grew up thinking that as Christians, we have to be selective in our friendships, you know, because we had, especially as a kid, you kind of to choose. I mean, like, repeat, Erica, your best friend is whoever helps you to love God and obey. That's a person, that's a good friend, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, we should aim for that, but I think I was not encouraged to be reminded, you know, that that we can be friends with unbelievers. Mm. Um, not best friends, obviously, there's going to be, but to put in our neighbor, you know, I'm thinking in our neighborhood how my kids are playing, and it's important. Sometimes I have concerns, you know, the mm-hmm. thing, you know. It's like, okay, but it's good that they play. It's good that we can, and then we could be genuine friends, not, not just, oh, they just want to convert me, mm-hmm. you know, but I really care, even if you don't. I truly care, you know. And that it is time. I mean, just my point is, I'm sorry, is to me it's a reminder to cultivate friendships even with non-believers. Mm-hmm. I know they're not my favorite choice, like you know, my first choice. I love to hang out with those that love God. Mm-hmm. But we need to seek and enforce and invest in making friends with unbelievers. Yeah. You know, which is tricky when you have kids. You know, I right. understand, you know, but even then we have I mean we should not isolate ourselves. Right. I was struck when Chris did the class on Jehovah's Witness. We just got to sit in on one or two of those, but we were talking about how Jehovah's Witnesses are, are not really allowed, my understanding, to have like friendships outside of their church. So you can, you know, you can work in your job, but really your relationships need to be here. And um, and if you left that, you know, left the Jehovah's Witness. Then you're you're cut off from all those other relationships that you had, and I thought you know as Christians, really we should be the counterpoint to that. Where part of what it means to be a Christian is that you are encouraged, and called, and commanded to, you know, to have the unbeliever in your home regularly. You know, to build those relationships, have those conversations, not just knocking on their door and saying I have a something to sell you, and if you don't bite, I'll go to the next house. But to really be cultivating those friendships and uh, we read a, a helpful book on, on kind of hospitality neighboring this last year um, and one of the points that they made I thought was was well put and that is as we seek to develop relationships with non-Christians we can't do that with the ulterior motive that they'll become a Christian um, because they will quickly pick up on that and not really be interested you'll, you'll burn more bridges than you'll build um, and again, that kind of puts us in the driver's seat of, well, we're the one that can convert them. I just need to kind of do the right things in the right way, and they'll be a Christian. They may never be Christians. Um, that's up to the Lord in one sense. However, 
as Christians, every relationship we have with a non-Christian must have the ultimate motive of seeing them come to faith in Christ. Because if we really do love them at, at all, um, then we long for them to know Jesus and to be saved. And so finding that balance with wisdom and everything is a, is a, can be a tricky thing. Uh, but that's something we can also talk about and, and help each other in um, as well. Let me, let me talk about this final thing and then let's spend some time in prayer. If you're still in Acts 4, look at verses 29 and 30. Um, we've talked about the importance of being a proclaiming church, a praying church, an inviting church. Uh, but we also need to be an expectant church. And I want to just read verses 29 and 30 here. And listen for the language. We're listening in on an apostolic prayer meeting here. And getting to hear how they prayed. And here's what, here's what they said. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, there's two things I want us to see here, and I, 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 I was helped in this by an article by a guy named John Shaw who does Presbyterian church planting. Um... And he points out that um, there's expectation in the language of this prayer in two ways. The first is that the early church expected opposition. They had experienced it already. The book of Acts is full of, yes, glorious accounts of the gospel going forward, but also painful descriptions of the gospel being opposed. And you see that in verse 29. Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Uh, the expectation of the early church was we are called to be faithful in proclaiming the gospel and that will be opposed and it will be difficult. As part of what we read from 1 Peter earlier, we didn't just read the verse about be ready to give an answer, but it's said in this context of be willing to suffer for your faith, be willing to suffer for doing good because when you proclaim your, the, the gospel, when you share your faith, when you speak of Jesus, there will be suffering and trial and difficulty. And uh, again, just speaking to myself, maybe many of you find yourself in the same boat. Um, I often think, well, you know, the reason that so-and-so gets pushed back for sharing their faith is because of the way they did it. It was kind of in a brash, obnoxious way. If I can just be more winsome, more, um, you know, more wise, more sensitive, then, then that'll remove all opposition. And that's not a biblical expectation. If you can share the gospel and, uh, you know, no one is ever hurt or offended or whatever, you're probably not sharing the gospel. You know, be, be wary when all men speak well of you, kind of thing. Um, so expect that opposition. Expect that it will be very difficult to take the things we've talked about in this class and apply them. Because there is spiritual opposition, as we were reminded of this morning. Because our own hearts are at war against what God calls us to do in this way. So don't think that by coming to these four sessions... Um, that this is just going to start to happen in your life. If anything, God, um, you, you may find that, that your life is, is busier and there's more difficulties and it just seems like evangelism is an even harder thing to prioritize. Uh, but let's not be thrown off by that. Let's take the approach of the apostles and recognizing this is true, there's going to be opposition, there's going to be suffering, but Lord, grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. So let's have that expectation. Let's also have the expectation 
that God will bless what he has commanded. And that's what we see in verse 30. They, they ask for God to, to give them boldness to preach the gospel. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed in the name of your holy servant Jesus. They don't say, help us to preach the gospel and then Lord, would you perhaps you know, consider stretching out your hand to heal and uh, to, to do signs and wonders, to bring people to faith. No, there's this expectation that what, what they have seen God do already will continue to happen. Because the promise that, that, that Christ gave them in his ascension even, and, and at Pentecost, is something that doesn't have an expiration date. They expect God to be at work. They expect people to be saved. They expect the word to go forward and to multiply greatly. So their prayer is, God, help us to be faithful as you work, because we know you're going to work. Um, and I, I just think um, we need to pray for much more of this spirit of expectation than what we probably have. Um, one, one great story um, about this that's been an encouragement to me um, is the story of a man named Luke Short who was um, born in England in the 1600s, immigrated to America, uh, lived in the colonies um, for most of his life, and was not a Christian for many, many, many years. Um, but when he was a little boy, I think seven or eight years old, uh, in Dartmouth in England, he had the chance to hear the Puritan John Flavel preach. At the time, it really didn't do anything. He was not converted. He didn't have any big crisis. But he heard John Flavel preached. Grew up, went to America, got married, had kids, had a farm, you know, lived his whole life. He was sitting under a tree in a field in Virginia as an old man, I think in his 70s or 80s. And for some reason, he just his mind went back to that sermon that he had heard you know, decades before. And he thought about what had been preached, and he was converted. Now at that point, John Flavel had been dead and gone for many, many years. Um, and yet, a seed planted more fruit far later. And this should be part of our expectation, that um, we really think that what the Bible says is true. Some plant, some water, some bear the harvest. And oftentimes, we don't get to be part of all three of those. Maybe we have a hand to play in one of those stages. Sometimes you get to see all three together, and that's a beautiful thing. But oftentimes, we're just doing some part of this work. But God is at work through His people, through His Word, by His Spirit. So let's have the expectation that if we truly and sincerely proclaim the gospel to someone, even if they don't fall on their knees and say, what must I do to be saved? Um, God is still at work, right? And um, if we're inviting someone in our home, um, that God is at work. So do not despise the day of small things. Let's not be content you know, with small obedience, but let's be faithful even in little things and expect God uh, to work, expect God to bless um, and to do what he says he'll do. In many ways, what this is is simply taking God at his word. It's faith. And so I hope that as we walk out from this class, that this can be something that we seek to cultivate um, individually, as families, and as a church family. And uh, let's expect it to be hard, because it will be. Let's also expect God to bless us as we follow him in faithfulness. Um, we've got about 20 minutes, so I'd love to spend that time in prayer. Um, what I'd like to do, um, I'd love to have a chance to kind of share if there are prayer requests and things, but before we do that, uh, I want to just ask if I can have maybe four people 
who would pray. And I'd like us just to pray through these four characteristics and ask that God would help us to be a proclaiming church, to be a praying church, to be an inviting church, to be an expectant church.